And in hindsight, I, I do wish I kind of had somebody that was literally about like, hey, let's let's start small, you know, small batch everything. Let's forecast and just see week to week how we need to adjust. I went like all in like we were going to be pressed cafe on the first day. And it was like <laughs> I it was very overwhelming. And then there was a lot of food waste because of it. But it was the only way to learn. Welcome to the Business Muscle Podcast, where we empower entrepreneurs to transform their businesses into unstoppable empires. I'm Elise, CPA turned serial entrepreneur. And I'm Arielle, a seasoned physical therapist and business owner. We're two female entrepreneurs with a passion for helping small business owners like you achieve massive success. With our combined expertise, we've scaled to an impressive seven businesses in less than seven years. And guess what? Each of them was profitable right from the start. But we didn't stop there. We're here to share our secrets, strategies, and insider tips help you turn your business into a thriving reality. And hey, we're not just all about business. As a physical therapist and fitness instructor, we'll also sprinkle in some fitness and wellness tips along the way. Join us on the Business Muscle Podcast every Monday as we guide you step-by-step towards financial freedom and building the business of your dreams. It's time to level up your business. Get ready to flex your business muscle. Welcome back to the Business Muscle Podcast. Today, we have a great interview in store for you guys. Today, we have Justina Langone on the podcast talking to us about her business, The Remedy Exchange in Wakefield. And this is a different type of interview for us for two reasons. One, Justina is involved with the food and beverage industry, which is something that's new to us. And we love hearing her take on all the challenges that are involved in food and beverage. And also, she had investors right from the start. So Justina gets super vulnerable with us about all of the challenges that she experienced from day one. She opened the Remedy Exchange without any experience in the industry and really had to work through some challenges to get her business off the ground. So we think you guys are going to really enjoy everything that Justina has to say. So let's dive right into it. All right. Today, we're excited to be sitting down with Justina Lingone, the owner of the Remedy Exchange. It's a superfood cafe right in Wakefield. She's also a serial entrepreneur starting her first business when she was just eight, making and selling scarves. Justina, welcome to the Business Muscle Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, ladies. Very excited to be sitting with you. So we're pumped to have you here today. You opened the Remedy Exchange right around the time that I opened the first Sweatbix. I remember you putting your signs up and we were like so excited. We're like, what is this coming to Wakefield? <laughs> it was so needed. Um, so I think your help, your conversation will be very helpful for our listeners because number one, you operate in the food industry, which is something that we have never touched and we don't really know that much about. And then also you went the route of going through investors to start up your business, which isn't a great way to do it. It's just a different option that we've done. So Mm -hmm. let's get into it. So going back to the the beginning, um, tell us a little bit about how you were growing up. Was business always like a big part of your life as a kid? So um, my mom always says that like I was meant to be my own boss just by she was like the second you came out of me like this just how you operated was always, you always like bent the rules a little bit, just uh, very good at delegating and uh, being bossy, should we say. She thought I would be a lawyer actually. Um, (laughs) But nonetheless, when I think I was like even three or four, lemonade stands were my jam. It was like, how, how could I like have hustles early on? And then I think I probably like sold my Barbies as kids or something. Um, yeah. And then the scarves thing, I learned to crochet. I used to hang out with like a group of older, older ladies, like grandmas at my campground. And they taught me how to uh, knit. <laughs> and so I made all these scarves. And then uh, one of my like mom's friends or something, let me sell them at her store. And then I remember I used to buy heels at TJ Maxx and I would bedazzle them and I would sell them on Facebook Marketplace when that became a thing. Oh my God. You were like ahead of the curve. Just I, I was. And it was, it was like hobbies that kind of turned lucrative, I guess, but, um, or like got me more lunch money. I don't know. But yeah, I always just enjoyed again, like making my own money in some creative way. Yep. So yeah. And then where did you grow up? Grew up in West Rock. Uh, so I was born in Chelsea, Massachusetts. And then we moved to West Roxbury because I got into Boston Latin Academy, but you had to be, um, a resident of the city of Boston in order to attend the school. So we had a family home over there that was kind of unoccupied on my dad's side. And we moved in and I went seventh to seventh through 12th grade. I went to Boston Land Academy. And then, uh, so I do call West Roxbury home, should we say. And then eventually I uh, moved up to New Hampshire, which that's where I call home now. 
Awesome. And were you always into health and fitness? Uh, it was more so athletics and stuff like that. So really, I, I was always an athlete. And then in college, I did club swimming. And um, but my business was sports management and business. And so I mean, I'm, just, I'm sorry, my major was sports management and business. And then uh, I met a guy who was in a bodybuilding and then he kind of got me into that whole thing of um, how you could look a certain type of way through, you know, weightlifting and whatnot. And then from there, actually, my dad got sick my junior year with cancer. Um, and I just remember from bodybuilding, again, watching how it transformed my body, but it like made me feel so good, like body, mind and soul, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like the nutrition was like, that was the changing factor. It wasn't just working out. Um, and then I was so appalled at when my dad got sick that there was just no nutritional protocol like there was nothing no let's not it was no let's send him to a dietitian let's see what changes he could make to really like give him a fighting chance it was just really this chemo after chemo after chemo and no doubt i think you got to meet somebody where they're at like i don't think we could have changed his italian subs and his black coffee but um that was really what kind of where i kind of segued into the nutrition part and then yeah so after bodybuilding i remember it was like my senior year in college uh I started writing up meal plans for people. That's when I kind of started with the just fit with Justina thing was like senior year in college until a little bit after. And, um, on top of like bartending and whatnot, I, I worked at Nesson actually for a little bit when I got out of school and quickly, quickly realized the corporate field was not for me. Again, I think reiterating the whole like entrepreneurship is my jam. You know, yeah, I just, this I was like in you from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And I did. I always, even looking back, like when, from when I was a kid or when I, I worked at like a bakery and I remember like the stuff I would get in trouble for was, it was almost like me doing stuff above my pay grade or getting in trouble for trying to do like management level stuff when, or like, I remember I like stole a manager's code so I could just make things faster and better. And she was like, you've been using my code this whole time. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but it's been, it's made life easier, hasn't it? But anywho, so That's yeah, I've awesome always kind of been on that track. Love it. So you got into fitness, you got into the bodybuilding mm -hmm. kind of, and that made you fall in love with nutrition and eating healthy. So then you started your own little business, right? So this is your mm -hmm. first maybe real business as an adult. Yes, say. I would agree. So what was that like? So that was fun. I was, um, I organically was just finding clients because when I was bartending, I was in fine dining at the time. So I was really, really blessed to be kind of subjected to the upper class of the world. And so um, like one percenters even where I would, they had home gyms or they had like gyms in their offices that you could come in as an outside trainer, not be questioned, which was great. Um, so a lot of my clientele was, was again, very high end and they just, they had accessibility to, to be able to pay for the proper food or pay for somebody to even make their food or whatever that looked like they, they could do it. And, um, and yeah, I would just kind of, I would have them write out a few food journal for a week or two and then just make some small changes or give them a meal plan to follow along with a workout plan. And we would just go from there. And, and I mean, I think along the way too, I mean, you guys know what it's like. You're, you're like a therapist to those people too. They like that kind of outlet. So maybe my charm was what really made that <laughs> business successful. It's a huge piece of it. Yeah. Yes. Don't underestimate this charm. <laughs> so did you have like a website or how are you getting clients? How are you? Just really word of mouth. So through the bartending, I, I started out with like my first three or four. And again, they're, with their wealth, I was able to see them like two, three days a week. So I kept myself very busy with that. So I think at most I had like 12 to 15 clients at one point. Um, and I always found that uh, I would kind of come back to my core five or six. And yeah, and that rolled for like three or four years actually with between bartending and that. And, and that's also where I met my, uh, my investors. Oh, really? Yes. Did you ever want to take that other company further or were you kind of at, you think it ran its course? I think it ran its course. And I say that because I found myself becoming unfulfilled with uh, my reach. And this is kind of when uh, becoming a, an influencer became popular, but it, I don't know, something like that just didn't, it, and still to this day, I struggle with putting myself out there a little bit more um, and the consistency of posting. So but anywho, I, I could have gone that route, right? I could have tried to do more of an online business, but I loved the in-person part of it, but I didn't love the one-to-one -one eventually. Like, I just felt like I wasn't reaching enough people or being, I wasn't able to have enough you know, effect by just working one-to-one -one with these people. So Yeah, one-to-one -one fitness is like a grind after a while. Yeah. You have to see a lot of clients to make it 
probably the money that you are hoping to bring in, yeah. like live off it. You used to see a lot of clients, mm-hmm. it's a lot of hours. You are like their therapist at the totally. end of the day. Yeah. Um, so I could see that. So then was he, was your investor, one of your clients or how did this come about? Yeah. So it was a husband and a wife and I was introduced to them through my sister-in-law uh, in a very friendly way. And then they, you know, they were like, uh, they were looking for a trainer. And so I started to see them at their house in Charlestown. And then eventually they moved back to where his family was from, which was Swampscott. Again, had a big, beautiful house with a gym in it, moved over to there. I was able to go see them. Uh, I think at that point we were doing like twice a month because it was kind of a stretch for me. But we just, we created this, we had this great friendship that formed out of it. They're a younger couple. Uh, They're probably about late thirties. So we just connected on so many ways. And then I saw them like bring their first baby into the world, their second baby. So we stayed close. Um, And then eventually it got to a point where uh, the commute didn't make sense for me to train them anymore. And, you know, we had to kind of part ways, but, but again, we stayed friends. So And then how did the remedy exchange thing come about? So that's where through that friendship, I think it was maybe about a year or so after I stopped training them. uh, I was at their house on July 3rd. Nope. Yes, it was. It was July 3rd of 2017, maybe um, at a barbecue. We were just shooting the shit. You know, they were like, oh, what are you up to? How's life? And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm still bartending at this point. And but again, I had that swirling thought that like it just feeling unfulfilled. It just wasn't enough there. Like, what is next for me answering that question? And so uh, backtrack a a few weeks prior to this to June of 2017, a good friend of mine, Rebecca, and I had printed out blank blank business templates. I mean, and you know, like the ones from business school with the SWOT analysis and all that. Like, I mean, we're talking like, it was a solid 25 pages. And we sat on my roof deck and we just started filling these things out and just kind of bring in. She had an idea. She wanted to open up a gym. I wanted to open up a smoothie shop or like like a health food cafe. And uh, we kind of just started filling in the blanks. And and I still have it to this day, actually, the copy of the original thing. And and it's funny, of course, where you start first, where you where you end. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, this was June that I, I start. I put it out there into the universe. And then July 3rd was when I was sitting at their table at a barbecue and um, they're like, oh, yeah, how's life going? I told you I was like, oh, bartending, blah, blah, blah. I go, actually, I just wrote up a business plan, though. I go. Like I remember scratching my head, like, I don't know, I think I'm going to open up a smoothie shop or something like as a joke, right? Almost because these things start as a joke in some way. And, uh, and, uh, the husband literally in his tracks, like face just dropped and he went, she shut, like, shut the fuck up. He's like, Skylar, go get the menus. Skylar's his wife. He had been collecting health food menus from all these cafes as he traveled for work and bringing them home. And he's in construction. So it's like, it wasn't his his realm to try and break into that. But he's like, I always felt like this was a, like a niche that we didn't have around here. Like somebody had to do it. I thought it'd be a great business idea. Literally right then and there, he's like, I'm all in. And then we had a handful of drinks that night. I remember I slept over their house and I remember waking up in the morning to like creep out. And he like peeked his house, his head out the door. And he's like, Hey, Hey, next week, let's meet up and talk about that. I'm still all in. And sure, we literally like bought a space and like a few months later, it was wild. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, tell everyone listening that doesn't know what the Remedy Exchange is now. Mm -hmm. So the Remedy Exchange is a health food cafe or a superfood cafe. And I feel like when I say superfood cafe, some people still scratch their head a little bit at what that is. And I mean, if I'm going to dumb it down, it's a juicery smoothie bar. But, you know, our main mission in at least Wakefield and whatnot is to just kind of create fun, approachable, healthy food for people. So it's, you know, A, affordable in some capacity, but B, it's authentic. And it's, but again, it's fun. Like it's not scary, healthy. It's um, balanced nutrition too. So we try not to, I'm kind of a big protein person. So I try and put protein in everything, which you find not everybody needs protein and everything, but nonetheless, it's again, balanced, authentic, fun, healthy food. And we can attest, we love it. There's so many good options. My dad is a regular. He goes there literally every day. It's almost creepy. I'm like, stop going and harassing Justina. The bites. He loves your energy bites. Energy bites. <laughs> we, this area just needed it. So when yeah. you guys came, it was like, we've been waiting for it. Wakefield just needed it. And the way you do things, I feel like it's different. There's other smoothie bowl places and they just put like a ton of sugar mm-hmm. in their acai bowls and they just taste like candy. Like they're so good, but they're yeah. like, there's no way these are like, actually good for you. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to you at the beginning and you're like, no, I want this food to actually 
be healthy for people. Yeah. I'm not going to just throw a bunch of crap in it. So it tastes good. Mm -hmm. um, and I appreciate that. Totally. So I think we need to back up because going from drinking with them to just opening, <laughs> there had to have been some steps in the middle there. So I love that you started writing out your business plan. So you were thinking about it. Yeah. You, did you guys have a menu? Were you thinking of a menu already or were you not even that far? I had a bunch of um, Pinterest boards. And that's what I always tell people when you're trying to manifest something. I think Pinterest is like a great way to do like vision boards, essentially. And I remember uh, just finding all these really fun recipes that I was already telling current clients about or something like that. Or like, again, just trying to make like authentically healthy eating funner. And that's, I think, people's biggest qualm is when they go to eat healthy, they're like, oh, boiled chicken breast or veggies or something. And it's like, no, it can be a lot more flexible and it's whatever it really looks like for you. But um, nonetheless, so I had been kind of collecting all these these recipes and uh, and making all these little vision boards for what I thought might be like cool things in each category. And so there was definitely some thought getting put into that. But uh what's it called? I had thought my original vision for the whole thing was that I would actually have a space that, that would really just do smoothies. And then kind of off to the side, I could have kind of like a little meeting room where I would do the nutrition counseling still. Oh, gotcha. And did the Remedy Exchange, was that always the name? Or so no, it was, uh, it originally started as Remedy in my head. And a friend of mine, when I when I kind of started to ask people, hey, like, what do you think of this name? They're like, I like it. And then a few people said, I, I I would think that might be a weed shop or something like, you know what I mean? They were like, initially, like <laughs> it comes to mind that it might be some kind of, yeah, like funky, uh, pot shop. So, uh, and then my friend, Michael Diaz, who again, to this day, I have this little index card, him and I were on a trip down to Martha's Vineyard and he goes, Hey, well, he goes, I know you come from like a military background family. He goes, what about like the exchange, like remedy exchange? Cause I knew I wanted in the logo, like the R to be extended down into an X as in like, you know, let food be thy medicine. Mm -hmm. So I knew that part. And then he goes, well, what about the remedy exchange? Like again, like a marketplace. And I, uh, and he drew it out for me right then and there on a little index card. And, uh, and when we opened remedy, it was sweet. He, he wrote me a note and he gave me the card. So I still have it, but that's kind of how it, it evolved. I love the name. I think the name is amazing. Yeah. So before you even opened, did you go and like, you went and checked that it was not taken? Were you mm -hmm. nervous that it was already going to be taken? We nervous. Yes. Uh, and there is, I think, a remedy exchange out there. I want to say it is a rehab facility and it's not in this area, but we actually just successfully after years of battling and waiting, um, trademarked it. Oh, awesome. Great. Yep. Congrats. So that is checked off now. Nice. So you got the name, you kind of had the menu, you were starting to work on the menu. Mm -hmm. So then what do the weeks look like leading up to opening? Well, you guys bought the building too, right? So how long does, did it take for you to find actual space? And was Wakefield always the plan? It was not always the plan. I So my godmother was from Melrose. And so as a kid growing up in Chelsea, uh, the North Shore or like Route 1, or that was always kind of like, I feel like somewhere where, where my mom would take me for an adventure or we would go to my godmother KK's house. And so I always really had like a warm, fuzzy feeling based around that North Shore area. And that's where I knew in my head, for some reason, that's where I wanted it to be. And so we started looking and we looked at a few spaces in Woburn, uh, maybe in Reading one and, and, you know, you know what it's like to walk into some spaces you like, you want to try to have an imagination for how it can come to life. But sometimes you really got to force that imagination. <laughs> and then others, you're like, wow, this is, and we walked into, we were looking and we were being patient too. Um, but when our realtor had sent us Wakefield, it, it was the day it went on the market and we instantly, but I didn't even see it in person. I said, this is it. That's just absolutely perfect. And so, and sure enough, we were able to kind of put a hold on it. We were able to see it the next day and, and everybody agreed it was the perfect place. That's amazing. Sometimes you just have a feeling about For a sure. space. You can see the vision there. Absolutely. So what are some of the steps that you need to take to get a cafe even up and running? Because this is something that we haven't gone through. And I'm sure there's so many pieces to it with when food is involved. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. Well, so when I have to put like call, call it a disclaimer on this whole thing, like I literally had no idea what I was doing. I have to like in hindsight, I must have had angels on my in my corner because I should have fallen on my face so many times. And, and to this day, like I'm not a trained chef. I'm YouTube talk, Google, like I'm just good in the kitchen because of trial and error. But my friend, Michael, who was a trained chef, he was very, very helpful with um, 
picking out menu items, kind of uh, helping me get that together, the preparation side. Um, but it was a lot of like fake it till you make it. It really was. And so I had to we love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in hindsight, I, I think I. I would have had more of a community to start. I kind of, I don't, I don't think I was, I think I was overwhelmed not being overly independent, but I would have maybe linked up with like a, somebody who already opened one and been like, Hey, like, do, would you mind passing along your purveyors? Who are your food people that bring you your orders on the daily basis? I had to create all those relationships from scratch. And then I also, you know, upon ordering in the beginning, I, whether it was paper plastics or food, I overordered like crazy because I just didn't know. And I also assumed we were going to have this crazy volume. But again, not being a trained chef just just made a lot of expensive mistakes, yeah, honestly. <laughs> like, I'm always like, how do you know? How do people know how much food to get, especially at the beginning? It's a big guess. Did you have it was a big guess? <laughs> it's a big guess. You didn't have like a budget where you're like, we think we're going to do this many smoothies. We need X amount of bananas. I literally just guessed. I just guessed. And that's, I mean, that's another also thing I, I wish I had kind of like someone like yourself that like lives in a spreadsheet and is really good with budgeting and forecasting. Um, and my, my partners are, they are my, my investors. They are businessy people, but they didn't, I don't know. We just didn't go through those motions. I don't know if we were so excited about it all or, and they, I think actually really what it was is they trusted me so much to just make it happen no matter what that looked like. And I'm so grateful for that long leash Although, again, there was some expensive mistakes made along the way. Um, but again, in hindsight, I, I do wish I kind of had somebody that was literally about like, hey, let's let's start small, you know, small batch, everything. Let's forecast and just see week to week how we need to adjust. I went like all in like we were going to be pressed cafe on the first day. And it was like <laughs> I it was very overwhelming. And then there was a lot of food waste because of it. But it was the only way to learn. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of our listeners need to hear that because a lot of people think that you need to have everything figured out before you yeah. open. And a lot of times you don't, you're still figuring things out before the doors are open and Absolutely. kind of going through that process and learning as you go. Mm -hmm. So now you have all the food ready to go. Tell us about the launch itself. How did it go? Yep. So, uh, I remember, and as I was telling you guys before this meeting, we had a, a, um, a soft opening. And I do, re I remember, you know, you get every, you are working like a dog, those work, those weeks up until like, it's literally first thing in the morning till late at night. And you do everything you can to, to feel as prepared as you can, but you never get fully prepared. You don't. And then I remember, um, my, again, Skylar, my partner just being like, uh, there's a line outside. Like, are you, are we ready? Like, can I open the door? And I just remember like still having a gazillion things I wanted to get done. And, and Danielle, who is uh, one of, you know, part of the fixed family was, I remember she was, I remember her red hair just being the first one in line. And I was like, I know that's a familiar face, but like, I'm, I was like, just not ready. And then I said, just open it, just go, just go. And, um, we, we might've made a few people sick that first few day. Like, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we did, it was sink or swim. Yeah. And at the end, I remember Skylar going to me, she goes, well, well that went, that went okay. And I was like, that went great. <laughs> I'm like, we did it. You know what I mean? We, hey, we you, did it. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know until you just start doing it. Honestly. Seriously. But did you do like a mock open where you had your friends come yeah. in and try? So you did that. So you yes. kind of like tested out some items. Yep. And then I'm trying to think back. What did you do for marketing? Because you put up the sign and we saw it and we were like stalking your Instagram. Mm -hmm. But what did you guys do leading up to the launch for marketing? Did you have a plan for that? For we linked up with this guy that my investors had suggested and he specialized in um, like Facebook marketing ads and stuff like that. And so we we gave him... I think it was a very small budget of say 500 to $1,000. And it was just like, Hey, can you kind of just get us pumped out there, get our SEO going and get us, you know, set up a little bit some to, to get some momentum going. So he was great. And that's where we found that, um, actually I think in all of our marketing avenues that Facebook marketing has been really great. And it's just cause you can be so specific and you can work with such a small budget and it, and you know, it, it maximizes that. So that was, that was really one of the ways that we organically got things going. Um, I mean, not organically, just we paid to get things going, but organically, I literally just, I inserted myself in every event possible, like shook as many hands as I could introduce myself, networking stuff. Like that first year was really a grind to just get my face out there as much as possible. So. And how many people did you have working with you at the beginning? Were you there seven days a week? Yes. So we were, we were only open, uh, six days a week in the beginning, uh, and then, but I was there seven days and I, I want to say we had about eight or nine, 
um, original. And, you know, the majority of them were uh, high school kids. So it was a lot of me just working during the day until they, they got out of school. So, yeah, it was it was kind of a call it a skeleton crew in the beginning. And uh, we actually I'm proud to say, I mean, to this day, we still have about three or four of those employees that come back from school and always keep in touch. Like we, we definitely there was some became, you know, employees became family along the way. Yeah, that's awesome. And now you're five years in the business. You survived. You crushed mm-hmm. COVID. You didn't survive it. You guys crushed it because it was a lot. I can't even imagine for like the food industry. It was just What's crazy? It was some of our best years. Oh, really? Was it? Which is nuts. Like, and not to say Remedy is doing well now. I don't. We're not exponentially growing as fast as I would like, and and I, I understand. I think why some of those things are happening, and that's kind of where I'm at. Um, you know, in my business ownership, uh, what's it called? Life is like you know making those changes, and I think we're just plateauing a little bit. But anywho, I go. I say all that to say when I look at the numbers. Um, COVID was some of our best years and I, maybe it was because delivery skyrocketed and whatnot. And, and I also personally think it was because it was a lot of me working by myself. So the numbers were, were our net profit was better because, um, you know, our payroll is so low. Right. But yeah, we made it. You crushed it. I feel like you always had people in there. They were, everyone was masked up and people were always like in and out of that place. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I feel like you killed it. I always go and I'm thinking like, if I was going to open a cafe, the first thing that pops into my mind that's like a hurdle is just, I, I just imagine there's like tons of licensing or like, I don't know, like code that you have to abide by. Mm-hmm. Is that a nightmare to do? Or is that something that you guys handled pretty easily? Is there you any know, tips you'd have for people with that? Absolutely. I, I actually, it crossed my mind. I feel like I didn't answer that question proper properly earlier. It's, um, you know, I have to admit Wakefield, uh, was a great location for many reasons, but one being the health department there is really progressive. They're awesome. They're like, you can pick up a phone call. I'm in a phone at any, any point and they will answer the question for you. They'll send somebody to come like, you know what I mean? They're just, they're That's very awesome. hands on. So I think it does depend on the, um, what's it called? The, like the health department in your town and what that looks like. But yeah, it, it's a handful of permitting. No more really than what you guys had to go through. You know, you got your common victualler license where you have to go present in front of the board a little bit and say, you know, why Wakefield? Why us? And after, for the most part, they're not looking to shut you down there. They just want to get to know you. Um, and then after that, it is your food permitting, which is an annual thing. And, you know, they come two to three times a year to check up on you after. But it's it's usually a um, an educated process, not like they're not looking to shut you down. They're just looking to make sure, you know, you're upholding standards. And if you are doing something wrong, they, they want to help you do it right. So other than that... Um, do you think it was a little easier because it was a food space before? Like, would you recommend people would only go into like something that was previously a few food like food and beverage place or did that not affect you guys? Do you think? I don't think it helps on the licensing side. Like you're not grandfathered in or anything, but for us, uh, a lot of the equipment was already there. So I think a lot of like the infrastructure for the building was set up to be food based. We don't do a lot of hot items, so we don't need like the, the, um, the hood or anything like that, that they use for the barbecue. So there are some items we're not using as much, but other than that, the layout for the space was already kind of fitted for, um, a food and beverage spot. So I would recommend looking at those in, but no doubt you still have to make it your own one way or another. So, so a build out can be, it's still going to cost you money. Yep. So you get it open, you launch, there's a line out the door and there was mm-hmm. lines out the door, I think for the first few weeks, I feel mm-hmm. like there was always lines always. at the remedy exchange. <laughs> so did it go how you projected numbers wise? Were you guys cash flow positive at the beginning or what did it take a while to kind of get your foot feet underneath you? And get going. Do you think back? Were you like, yes, we crushed this? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, we were we were cash flow positive very early on. Like I remember my investors being like surprised actually with the numbers um, doing so well. And again, I I think I accredit a lot of that to uh, I wasn't paying myself a lot either in the beginning, and so obviously it was a lot of it was it was a lot of positive cash flow because it was just me working and I wasn't getting paid a lot. But we I was living the dream. Or, you know, which was a nightmare some days, but it's living, <laughs> living the dream. But you got to be your own boss and make yeah. decisions, be creative, but it's it's tiring. It's a lot. It is. It is. And, I, and I'm grateful for it. And I feel like this is going to segue us into the next thing is um, my partners really like amongst that long leash that they gave me, it was very much a here's a credit card, like spend what you need to, to make this successful, like be realistic, but like 
do your thing. Like, like literally just, just make it happen Buy what you need to just get it set up. And I was so grateful to have that, that cushion to work off because it allowed me to just um, be creative and to just bring this thing to life. Um, so I think that that's, that was definitely a positive of having investors um, and ones that really believed in it and didn't want to micromanage me like crazy. We're just going to take a brief pause from this episode to tell you all about our free business starter checklist. This is the checklist that we wish we had before opening our first businesses. It includes every step you'll need to take your business off of the ground. If you're someone who's looking to launch your first business, head to businessmusclepodcast.com and snag your free checklist. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah. What was the partnership agreement when you guys sat down? Was it they were going to be Silent partners, do they have any day-to-day responsibilities? How does that work? Mm -hmm. So um, that's, I think that's definitely a loaded question for me, especially where I'm at recently with the business. Um, So when we first sat down, it was, I will start by saying I was very naive to thinking that it was going to be a partnership. And in hindsight, it's funny, I, it, you might have noticed throughout this whole thing, I changed my wording between partner and investor. They are my investors. I know that now. Um, in the beginning, I genuinely thought they were going to be my partners. And if this is no knock to them, this is just me being naive and new to this. And I didn't know what I needed until I like went through the motions and I, I needed a partner. I needed help. Um, but nonetheless, I made it happen. I broke a few times in the mean, in, in the process, but, um, so they, there, I wouldn't call them silent partners. Um, but it was when we first sat down and kind of came up with our initial agreement, you know, the husband, he literally looked me in the eye and said, I want to be clear that I'm not doing this to make another job for my wife. And I remember being like, yep, okay, no problem. Like, but in like, but still thinking that she would be there with me on the daily basis. You know what I mean? Like I, it was like, I, I was lying to myself and again, that's why I no knock to them by any means. They were very clear about the terms. I just, I just thought differently. Um, so that being said, it's, yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to that, but it's, it's, it's hard. And, uh, when you have, you just need to be, you really need to be real with yourself. And, and I think too, I wish we kind of wrote down tasks and whatnot in the beginning. I wish it was more black and white because I think it was it was a gray area and because we didn't define on paper what the what the responsibilities were that um that it created a big gray area where and that's where my imagination kind of took took charge. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about that before and you know kind of our partnership and how we define our roles and a partnership or an investor can look like a lot of different things mm-hmm. in a business. Mm-hmm. And kind of not knowing what you wanted in the beginning can be a challenge and a challenge for anyone who's just opening their business. So mm-hmm. what advice would you give someone who is looking to get to have investors or to have a partner come on? Where would you tell them to start? So I would I would say, you know, it's I guess in hindsight and I don't want I don't want this to sound jaded based off my experience because where my investors couldn't help me emotionally and physically in the business, they helped me like to the best of their ability in life. Like, you know, they helped me out with like a personal loan that I needed um, for certain things or like they were like a mentor to me on so many fronts. Even when I got my house, you know, they like came and did a walk, like, you know what I mean? Any expertise they had and wherever they could help me, they did. But I would say, you know, if you have, a, if you really believe in yourself and you have this great idea and you've, you've ran it past a handful of people and get comfortable with doing that, don't just hold it close to the chest and like think you have this great idea, like run it past a bazillion and one people and get their advice, the good, the bad and the ugly. But I don't know. I mean, whether you, if you can pull off going to a bank or something like that or getting private, like funding like that, something that's not, you don't have to give up equity. I really would, I really would advise that because if you do have a, a home run in years down the road, like I know in the beginning, you just want somebody to help you get started. But when it is successful in years down the road, you are going to be kicking yourself in the butt that you didn't try to hold on to every piece yourself. Yeah. And I think it's different when you have a partner versus an investor because the partner is in the grind with you. Yes, It doesn't feel when you have to split the net income at the end of the month, they've mm-hmm. been there. They've shed the tears and the blood mm-hmm. and everything. They've mm-hmm. been there with you. Where an investor, that's exactly what they are. They're giving you their money and they're hoping they're going to get a return. It's yeah. just like they're playing in the stock market. That's it. Totally. Um, and that's why we said in the previous episode, it's so important to sit down and like have your agreement and what it exactly it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Because when you're working your 80th hour that week, 
you don't get bitter because you go back to the agreement and this is what you, that's it. this is what you guys agreed on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I always lean like exactly what you said, like keep your equity or partner with somebody who's going to compliment it and actually help take yeah. stuff off your plate and add value to the business. Totally. That it's worth giving away the equity for. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And for a fix, you know, as a partnership, we've definitely gone that route too. And it's super helpful to have someone who has a different set of ideas and can help with, you know, financials too. So there's definitely some pros to having the investor and having the partner as well. Yes. And then just one last thing I want to do say with that is I I think again, being like young and naive, which I'm speaking generally here to many people that are starting that journey for their first business. And they're just so excited, right? For the chance to, to do it and branch out and, and get it done and to have somebody in their corner. Um, but again, no one will work as hard as you. And so be very clear about that. But um, what was I going to say about this? Oh, the percentage of um, that you give up really. That is because I think it's so easy for investors to say, oh, you know, 50, 50, uh, 49, 51 or 50, 50. Like, no, that like, don't do that. Um, or even, so originally that's what I was proposed with. And then, uh, I remember like literally being gutted about it and just not feeling like that was right. And then I was like, I asked for 60, 40, which in hindsight, I I wish I believed in myself a little bit more to ask for like maybe 70, 30 or something. Um, and none, but nonetheless learning curve and, and I'm grateful for many of the things they've done for me, but just really, under like think almost you know if your business turns into a multi-million dollar business or even five years down the road like if that evaluation's higher or just really understand what you're what you're giving up i think that's a huge point because i think a lot of and especially females don't realize that they can advocate for themselves especially when you're starting out you probably like they had all this money they seem like they have more power i think it's great the fact that you even went back to them mm-hmm. i was going to that was going to be my question is did you go back to them did you yeah. push them a little bit i think that that's huge and it shows confidence on your part i know your spell probably kicking yourself a little bit that you didn't right. push more but you push more than probably a lot of people in your position would have yeah when you see that they're just giving you all this money you don't have any experience it's not like totally. you were just probably felt lucky at the time too that mm-hmm. they were going to take a chance on you but yeah, if you have an idea and you're the one that's going to be working, think about what you're giving away. Yeah. Because if you don't know what equity is, and this might be obvious, common for most people or like common sense, but that means if Justina makes $10 and there's $6 of expenses and there's $4 left, she has to give two of the four mm-hmm. to her investors every month. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to do a thing. And she's they're basically taking, what, 40% of every single dollar that net income at the end of the day. Yep. And that, that ends up being a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I'll, I'll kind of say an example, say from last year, this was like a, I'm not going to say it was an issue we, we ran into, but you know, Remedy, Remedy had its first down year. I'll be totally honest. Um, and it was just, again, I think there was some things we could have changed. Like the economy has been doing this weird thing post COVID and I wouldn't call it, it wasn't much of a down year, but uh, my investor said to me, you actually worked an entire year not to make any money. And I literally said, well, I made money like, because um, I made sure that I was paid because I knew I was doing all the work. And, and it might have sounded wicked rude coming out. But I literally was like, I'm like, we don't owe any money to vendors. Like, we, like you know what I mean? At the end of the year, we mm-hmm. were down maybe like 2%. It wasn't anything drastic. But I'm like, I, I say, I guess I say all this to say, you know, even if you are entering into a partnership, make sure you pay yourself for the work that you are doing. Cause at the end of the year, you got to split that other percentage up somehow. Yep. And again, if you're, if you're not the one that's taken care of first and foremost, then it's really just going to create this resentment. And did you have that payroll amount in your agreement before you launched? Did you mm-hmm. say like, I'm paying myself X amount every month and then every year it's going to escalate or how mm-hmm. did you guys do that? We, we only had an original starting point, uh, which to be honest, was I, I mean, I was making six figures before when I was bartending and had my own little business. And I took such a monster pay cut that I put myself into debt. And that's actually why my, my investors had to help me with a, with a personal loan because I was suffering and I was, and I, and then I didn't have any time to bartend to kind of help me get back out of the, the hole I was in. So they helped me with that. And then with that, I was like, look guys, um, this original agreement that we came to, um, it I just it's not financially viable for me with what I'm putting in. And they were great. They said, okay, like get your expenses together. Let's let's take a real look at where you're at and how we need to adjust. And um, and they helped 
they put a little bit more money into the business so that I could have a little bit more of a cushion to survive and live, which was great. So there was an original, um, but there wasn't an escalation to it. But to be honest, I've, I've, I've looked over our original operating agreement and, and I know we were all just, just getting things going, but it's, it's a very basic, basic operating agreement. And I also think that, um, it could have had a little bit more information in it that kind of like grew with the business in the first five years, at least. Yeah. So definitely put as much in that as you can, but there's so many things that you might not even think about. Right. So you just do the best that you can and you, but I always say you do it assuming the worst, like what could happen that you don't want a handshake deal. You want to go back and be like, no, this is what we said. I was going to get paid year three or whatever. Mm -hmm. You want to have that in writing if something were to go south so that you can protect yourself. Well, and that also being very vulnerable and, and open with you guys. So this past year with remedy, um, I, I don't mean, I don't know if this happened to you guys, but uh, I, I hit a wall many times and I was just, I was trying to figure out what it was and I was just crashing back into the same wall. And I'm like, why am I so unhappy? Like I'm still showing up. I'm still doing the day to day grind, but what is it? And, and I thought I wanted to sell the business. I did. I wrote, I wrote my partners a letter actually. And, um, and I just kind of said, Hey, I don't, I don't know if I'm that person to take it to the next level. And this was really just me kind of peeling back the layers on this, this issue that I was having. And, and I didn't know the answer to. And, and so I thought the answer was, I didn't know if I suited the business anymore. And then once I figured that that wasn't it, then I thought, it, I thought it was my partners and that me, the realization of the fact that they were investors, not partners. Does that make sense? Yep. And then I realized that wasn't the issue. And uh, and what my real unhappiness I have come to figure out is that I'm I'm just I'm working in the business too much, not on it. And it is I'm not doing it any justice that way, right? And that day that weeded grind, like I'm like this shit is below my pay grade. Like I am paid way too much to be slinging smoothies yeah. like 40 hours a week. What am I doing? I need to be out there talking to people, like promoting our catering business, like do like doing not the glamorous stuff, but I need to be growing the business. And so that's what I understood my unhappiness was. And I say all that to say, um, we took a look at the original. I, I, I asked my partners if I could buy them out and we went through the motions of what that looked like. And it was really interesting because their initial reaction was, uh, well, the business isn't really worth a lot. Like it's, they, yeah, it has a very small debt based off the original like payback amount. But um, we didn't really find, like they were like, we just don't value it at anything besides the equipment. Uh, and so that was one thing. And then because, because I am the value in the business, right? That was the problem there. And then again, I say all that to say in our original agreement. So I sat down with my partner and I said, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Um, I'd like to offer you guys to, to buy you out. And, uh, and he flipped the script on me and he said, well, based off our original contract, um, this is actually the number. And it was they in the original contract, they had built salaries in for themselves. And he said they wanted deferred salaries based off the five years with an annual percentage rate attached to it. So my number wow. was like uh, 30K. Their number was like 300K because of those deferred salaries. And I, again, I say that because lesson learned, I, I sat down and signed that contract without even looking at it, without understanding a, a thing on it because I was just so excited for the opportunity. And I just, I just, I didn't know that like something like that could come back to haunt me. Right. So yeah, wow, that can be a great like learning point for a lot of our listeners. And I think that a lot of people get into the, a small business and they open a small business because they're good at something, right? right. Like you're good at nutrition. You're mm -hmm. so good with people, you know, whatever your trade is, that's what makes you motivated to open the business. And mm -hmm. then you get to a point where it's almost like it can be a really big turning point for the business when you go from it being just you to it being something bigger than yourself. So we know you have other staff and things like that too. So tell us a little bit about like how you became just the person behind the counter to focusing on the bigger picture of the business and mm -hmm. becoming the manager and more of like, not just you being behind the counter, but you being the business owner. Right. So I'm kind of still in, I'm still trying to do that with the business. Um, especially now more than ever, I'm, I'm as we speak, grooming somebody to kind of step into my shoes, making those active steps to work on the business rather than in it, defining roles as, um, as you guys have always said is, is best. Cause to be honest, when you start too, you, you don't have any of that set up really. Like, I mean, anybody that does before they even open the doors has all their role descriptions and responsibilities laid out. Like, wow, good for you. You're a rock star, <laughs> but like, um, 
in my opinion, too, those things like until they're applied and the business is opening, like you really can't define that kind of stuff. So, uh, I guess my transition to answer your question has been, it's still happening. Right. And, and so I've, I've, I've understood like, you know, setting up charts to kind of be like chain of command here and like, uh, you know, what, like, if you have questions, comments, concerns, who you need to direct those to, like, just kind of getting the staff on the same page to understand that, um, you know, I am not, I'm not the, the sole person that has the answer to everything that can be redirected at this person or that person. And with that, giving people new roles and responsibilities. So, um, yeah, just kind of setting up that groundwork and that, that's, that structure of, you know, who does what and, uh, and with that, then then you can kind of give up some of the, some of your responsibilities, take a step back, and and then add new ones. <laughs> it's so tough because I don't think that people realize that like the burnout as an entrepreneur is so real. Yeah. You go into it and you think like this is my dream job, but then you end up, for example, for you, you're making smoothies for X, and like you could have just went and worked at a smoothie place at yeah. this point. You're probably like, I'm just slinging smoothies, and that's not what you got. You wanted to be creative and run a business, so I feel mm-hmm. like that happens to everybody. It happened to me at Sweatfix. Mm-hmm. I was teaching a million classes a day. Yeah, um, you you become the business instead of running the business. Right. And we right. again, we've talked about that, and that's like the huge theme. Yeah. Of burnout is when you are the business, and if yeah. you can't step away. It's like you should have just became worked That's at a smoothie true. bar because you're not now. There's no business. You're the business. Yeah. I say it's a, what's it? I, I go, there's some days where I, it owns me. I don't own it. Exactly. <laughs> and when you, I think you just realizing that is like a huge first step because mm-hmm. then you can start putting in the processes in place and documenting what you do so you can teach other people and then you can step away yeah. and focus on the 20% of your business. It's going to drive yes. 80% of the revenue. Exactly. And when you can get to that point, then all of a sudden everything just starts to feel easier. Like mm-hmm. the like the burnout, everything just starts to fade away because you're focusing on the stuff that you you started this to focus on in the first yeah, place. The stuff that lights you up. Yeah. Really. The creative side. And you find too, because like I I I know in times of burnout, you know, um, one of my investors, she'll be like, you know, do you need a little vacation? Like, do you need a day off here and there? And I'm like, I want to be like, a day off is not gonna solve this problem. Like I'm bleeding <laughs> out right now. And uh and, and then it's until you identify where you're bleeding out, how to plug it and how to, it's almost like you got to work a little harder first before you can take a step back and breathe. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm currently in the midst of like, I got to put in more time to have to hand over those response to, to a identify those responsibilities, what they look like, how I do them, what my SOPs are, and then hand them off. I, exactly. Like that's something we're focusing on and we've been for a while, but even now, like me and Ariel will sit down because she was starting to get burned out and she could probably talk. Mm. She was seeing 20 plus people a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And even just sitting down and being like, let's list out what you do. And obviously we can't take away some of the clients, but right. like, what things are you doing? So you're drafting an email every week. So let's make a loom video on mm-hmm. how you do it, how we make it on Canva, document everything. And now we're going to hand it off to somebody. We're going to train them to do it. And you need to empower people. And at the beginning, it took her a lot more time because they were sending her drafts and she'd say, we need to fix this, this, Mm -hmm. this and send it back. So it was a lot of back and forth. Mm -hmm. But then after a few times, now it runs by itself. Yeah. And that's how we handle all our new client processes at Sweatfix. At the beginning, I did every single thing. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to sit down and go through the pain of training somebody. Yeah, yeah. But then once you do, it's just like it opens up and you feel lighter. And I feel like you can talk to this a little bit more too because you were right in it recently and you gotta do it the first thousand times you do and that's what anybody that like is is joking themselves to think that they can quickly figure it out and just get employees and run the show like no you have to do the first thousand reps yourself right yeah and like you said it adds so much more time Mm -hmm. to what you're doing in the beginning so it's like okay yeah i'm great i'm gonna bring on another person yeah but it's gonna be me (laughs) training this entire time so yeah i mean now we're going through the process of like our whole training process which is a lot of work but once it's done it's gonna feel amazing we don't have it all figured out quite yet. You know, we're not, it's, it's still a work in progress, but I'm very excited to see where that goes to having like a set training protocol with videos for every single thing that we do. And like you said earlier, like it's hard to know some of those things when you, before you've even opened, like I wouldn't have known our exact process until now we're in it. Exactly. Whether you, and whether you go to business school or any of that BS, like, 
they don't teach you this kind of stuff in right. here. It's real life stuff. Right. Um, but there is one thing I want to mention that was so, it was a simple exercise that somebody told me to go through that was so valuable. Um, it's, uh, he, this gentleman, Alex, that's one of our regulars is a management consultant for like four to five, 500 companies. And he was saying, he goes, just, you know, you, I want you to identify, identify every single thing you do, every role, every responsibility. And then he goes, put it in four quadrants, the stuff that, um, what is it? The stuff that you're really, really good at. And like, you, you're great, like you're good at, you're great. And then stuff that you're like mediocre at, but, and then what is it? You're, um, you're okay at and the stuff that you hate doing. And he's like the bottom quadrant, get rid of it. That is not, it's below your pay grade. Now find somebody else for it. You need to be doing the stuff that lights you up. And, uh, and it, it just made it so much easier for me to like with those four, uh, I didn't identify them that well, but anywho, they, it was, I was like, ah, as I'm writing them, it was like so easy for me to put those tasks that I, that like sucked a soul out of me in certain quadrants. And then I would ask some of my like lower, um, employees like, Hey, are any of you guys interested in some of these things? And like so many, uh, there was a few people that just gravitated right to, I've always wanted to do that. Or like, yeah, I'd love to do that for you. It was yeah, amazing. That's great. And it's a great way for you to build trust with your staff mm-hmm. and your employees too, and give them, them more responsibility, which is going to yeah. make them more likely to stay with you because exactly. now they feel like they have a purpose yep, yep. in the business. So where do you see yourself and the remedy kind of going next? Like what's the next big step for you? What's your next big goal? So I, you know, I have high hopes that we would have another location, right? And I say that because um, I feel like with any of this stuff, like you got to, I know even on my worst days that I got to, I have to see it through all the way, whatever that looks like to me. And um, I just want to get to a happier place so I can do it better by all means. But I would really love to, I don't know about a franchise because they say it's you need seven locations is like the magic number before you make it franchisable. But but I would love to have another location or two um, just again so we can reach more people and be more effective. But um, other than that, you know, back to kind of the original exchange idea, I'd love to kind of be more of a marketplace, almost like the net similar to like the natural food exchange where have yep. just some other elements that are, you know, kind of sitting on a shelf there. Um that and then I've also had this fun looming idea that I wanted to do like remedy retreats. Um, so with like mind, body, soul, but I don't know. Yeah, one thing at a time. I, I have a few like creative thoughts swirling, but right now the current goal is to um, get myself to a better place where I can grow the business and just just make this one location a total um, home run. Yeah, and just crushing and never leave us in Wakefield because <laughs> promise, my promise. dad would freak out. <laughs> So people that are looking to open their own cafe or something similar, what advice would you give them? Because I feel like there's so much that goes into it. So mm-hmm. like, what would you even say to somebody that's looking to you to start? And people will probably reach out to you and ask now, I would imagine people are probably like, how did you do this? Yeah. I mean, and you probably get that same thing where like people, it's like, I feel like women too, of course, um, that you become friendly with over time, they'll have a fun idea or a great hobby that they have. And they're just like, Hey, I've been thinking about like kind of take the, taking this a step further. And I love It's so like, I'm like, Oh my God, thank Like I, I feel so um, honored to be asked that. Right. Like, wow. Thanks. Um, but my biggest advice would be whatever field you want to work in or interests you and excites you. Like I, I would say if you can get even a part-time job in that field, um, just to kind of shadow somebody or see if you can do like an internship, call it that. Cause just to get a real taste for what it's like, you know, and then see like the inner workings of a company like that. Um, I bartended. I never worked at like say a health food cafe or a smoothie shop, but I do wish in hindsight and somebody had given me this advice and I ignored it. Um, but I wish I say worked depressed, you know, even 10 hours a week just to see how they operate, you know, cause I was, I came up with our operations from scratch. That's wild that you did that. That's like a very impressive though. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, if you look at press, they are like a well-oiled machine. Well if you oiled. had worked there, you probably would have picked up so many little tips. I would have saved so many falls by all means, but uh, that is, that's why that's my number one advice to anybody that wants to do something like that is, um, yeah, to, to, to try and see if you can shadow in some manner, some way. And and I think people get like discouraged and worried that's that they were of rejection, but like, that's probably not going to happen. Like, I mean, and look at us three entrepreneurs. If some, anybody that has come to me and asked if they could shadow me, absolutely happy to help. Not worried about you stealing my ideas or anything like that. Like just happy to, to pass it along. Right. Yeah, we're always looking for like interns and stuff at Fix. So yeah, or even Sweat Fix, like come work the desk. You start 
just like at the ground level and you mm-hmm. work your way up. That's how like our manager, she started right at the front desk and slowly worked yeah. her way up. And then you learn the business. You do. Like, there's no better way than just starting Sorry from the bottom. I know it sounds bad, but you got to start somewhere. You have then- to start somewhere. And uh, and I think to play off of that as a second piece is, um, again, start somewhere. Just get your toes wet. I think we, what is it? Um, perfection just stunts progress or something like that. And I'm guilty of that with with a few things I've wanted to do is like, I just, I want to get, a, I want to get a few ducks in line before I get going on it. And it was like, just get going on it. Mm-hmm. Put yourself out there in some manner, you know, see, because you know, even if you got two or three clients or whatever, that's still, you're getting that momentum turning. you're figuring out your processes. Cause if you got like 40, 50 clients right off the rip and you didn't have that foundation set, you'd be screwed. So like you just, I think it's great to, um, again, just put yourself out there, just get, just get started. Um, and that goes to like, I got to laugh. So my brother just opened up his first real business down in Florida and he went to Georgetown for his master's, but he was like, just, you know, I think I'm gonna go back for my PhD. And I was like, can you stop procrastinating and just <laughs> like, just do it, dude. Yeah. Sure enough. He goes, all right, all right. And like, he started it up and he just, and he was so worried about, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be ha- able to handle multiple clients, like the fear set, like just thinking about like that. And yep. He just got his first, and then he called me today. He got a second and third. Like it's just, awesome. just getting it going. Just get going. That's just do awesome. it. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming and doing this, just because of how vulnerable you were. I feel like when you look at the Remedy Exchange Instagram, and you're crushing it. So she's showing that there is like a tough side to it. Where if you look at their Instagram, if you even go into the Remedy Exchange, it's all smiles. It's always packed. Mm-hmm. There's you. never energy bites because everybody always steals them before I can get <laughs> we there. We can't keep up with those um, things. <laughs> but I love the fact that you didn't come on here and put up this, you know, like the Instagram versus reality. You gave us the reality side of like what it actually looks like to be an entrepreneur. And I feel like that isn't shown really on Instagram or things that often mm-hmm. because you're doing a great job. And even somebody who is killing it and you crush COVID, like it still is tiring and it's still, there's burnout. And so I think it's great to show that side. So I appreciate you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think like uh, also another thing, if, if I've learned anything too, it's um, you have to just always be willing to be better, right? It's like that journey to it. You have to evolve as a person. You have to be able to take criticism. And in the beginning, it was so difficult. Like I felt like somebody was like insulting my kid. Right. Like it was like any bad review or anything was like a bullet off the chest. And now I know that it's just it's it's constructive criticism in some way. And I just we need to be better for it. It's just information. And so as a person, um, as a human being, as a business owner, as a manager, like I'm always trying to I'm always trying to be better. Always. Yeah. It's just growing and learning. And we love that. And we feel that too. And we really appreciate everything that you've shared with us. So we like to end every interview with a fast five. So five quick questions. (laughs) Uh, So number one is what is your one non-negotiable that you do every single day? Ooh. Um, (laughs) I have to laugh because I'm so bad with consistency and it's like my biggest weakness. (laughs) (laughs) um, My non-negotiable that I do every day is... I tell my mans I love them. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's one place to visit on your bucket list? Mm. I am dying to go to Iceland, which I think I might be doing for my bachelorette. Nice. Yeah. Um, what's either the best or worst piece of business advice that you've ever been given? Um, the best piece of advice is... Uh, hmm. I think it's just bet on yourself, right? Just like no matter what you got you at the end of the day, just keep showing up for you. And, and again, on your worst days, just, just keep showing up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, worst advice is, um, hmm. Mine was somebody told me not to open a row studio. So it could be a simple. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Don't do it. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I can't honestly, I sadly can't think of the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten. Cause I think it's all, it's all advice at some point. So yeah. yeah. Uh, what are three traits that you think every entrepreneur needs to have? Three traits are, um, you gotta have that grit, right? It's just like that tough skin and, um, and no doubt you're allowed to like be emotional and, and whatnot, but you gotta, it just, you, you have to just have that endurance through the good and the bad, the ebbs and the flows, just keep showing up and keep putting out. Um, and, and then the, I think the, as we talked about the, the wanting, like it, 
the wanting to always be better and evolve and to be to just grow into the best version of yourself um, in whatever role you are or whatever hat you're wearing that then that day. And then the third thing would be um, communication. Definitely. Yeah, it's uh, I am a great communicator, but I actually find that sometimes at work I don't communicate things because I think um, I'm worried about being a bug or over communicating or being a burden. And so I like, it's like I, instead of communicating it, I keep it internally. And then it like, it like messes something up. You know what I mean? Versus over communicating all the details that like your staff will be, at least they're informed. Right. Right. That's it. Just yeah. put it out there. That's a great one. And then if you could go back and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? Ooh. My younger self, a piece of advice. Like little Justina, who's doing the personal training, yeah. working with clients, not Sounds sure. <laughs> Sell, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, as far back as all those graphs. But no, like you're working with your clients and you're just thinking like you have this 25 page SWOT analysis. Mm-hmm. What do you what would you go back and tell that person? I would tell her if she could like be more organized, then it would make her life a lot easier because that's something that I still struggle with to today. I just haven't prioritized it enough, but that's where I feel like whenever like we connect and you guys are so good about your spreadsheets and stuff, I'm still like, I don't, I don't, I'm not good about my numbers as much in planning. And I think part of me like loves having this like flexible, more relaxed, like take it one day at a time. Like I like that side of myself, but then I know that I would be able to be more relaxed if I was a better planner. And I don't know, not saying I have to be type A, but I would, I would tell my younger self, if you can um, gain the skill of organization and being a better, again, planner, you would, it will make your life a little bit easier. Yeah. I love that. And it's, it sounds like you're working on all those things and just getting all your systems That's in it. place. But well, thank you so much for coming on to the Business Muscle Podcast. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you and find the remedy and go get all those energy bites. Love it. So the Remedy Exchange is at 41 Tuttle Street in Wakefield. Um, It is right at the depot there on the train tracks uh, or across from St. Joseph's Church, North Ave Diner, Carol's Cafe. We're all right there in that same hood. Um, You can find us on Instagram at the Remedy Exchange. And then um, I myself am at Justina Langone. It's my profile is definitely just all fun everything so <laughs> yeah you have all good stuff on there that's it and you guys know where to find us you can find us at businessmusclepodcast.com on instagram at businessmusclepodcast and i'm dot and you can find elise at elise cara and we'll see you guys next week all right thanks guys you just finished another episode of the business muscle podcast if you found value in this episode don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review Your reviews mean the world to us and help us reach other listeners who can make a big impact in the business world. Don't forget to join our Business Muscle Podcast Facebook group where you can ask questions and chat with other like-minded entrepreneurs. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll bring you more expert advice and practical strategies to help you thrive. Thank you for being a part of the Business Muscle community and we'll catch you in the next episode.